about the way Tim and I are preparing for our messages, getting closer towards the end and realizing that chapter 16 of Romans, if you're familiar with it at all, is really a, a list of individuals that Paul takes time to address his thanks for, his prayers for, uh, and some last words of instructions to. And it feels like, I don't know if you remember when you were a little kid growing up and you played baseball or maybe softball or maybe even just wiffle ball and to determine who was going to be the first one at bat, you would grab, you know, you toss the bat up and somebody grab it in the middle. And then you just kind of do this number until you got to the top. And then whoever was able to get one last little grip on the top of the bat would be the one who won. I feel like we're almost doing that with the book of Romans. And we're just kind of going and we're going to see who's going to be the last one to have a message in the book of Romans. And uh, I'm still not quite sure how that's going to work out. I can tell you this morning that I plan not to get finished with chapter 15. If that gives you any sort of understanding, we're still got a hold of the bat. We're still working our way up to the top of the knob. But we're going to be looking, Lord willing, today at chapter 15, verses 14 through 24, continuing in the same context that we really have been all along, understanding that Paul has written this letter to the believers in Rome to encourage them to not only understand the gospel, but understand how it requires them to relate to one another, because this church was a mixed group of people. These, these were many Jews that had come to know Jesus Christ as their Messiah, but because Rome being where it was, what it was, was full of non-Jewish people who, when they heard the gospel, believed. And so now we have this church, this major group of believers who are made up of those who were taught the law from the earliest of years and understood how Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that to those who had no clue about who Moses was or didn't really understand the account of creation or have any concept of what the Jewish people had gone through for centuries, whether it be under the prosperous kingdoms of David or Solomon or Jehoshaphat or those who had been under the kingdom of Ahab and others who were disobedient to God. But they knew that when they heard about Jesus of Nazareth and that he died for their sins and that the power of God through the Spirit raised him from the dead, they confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and they were saved. And just as there had been in, you know, days or centuries past, this, this raw rubbing with God's people into those who weren't God's people, those who were not the children of Abraham, as we were referring to shortly earlier in our Bible study time. Those who consider themselves to be the descendants of Abraham as if that was a special place. So Paul has been writing or wrote this letter that we have been studying to help this group of people understand who they all were collectively in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God into salvation, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek. But as we do so, and as we look at this issue of Paul's priority of preaching Christ. This is not the only passage of scripture in which we can uh, 
draw this emphasis. But as we do so, I'd like for us to think about what is it that when people ask you, what do you do? What do you respond with that makes you feel like what it is you're answering is sufficient? Because sometimes you may be talking to somebody who you perceive as being really important, very prestigious. They have a high standing. Perhaps they do a very meaningful work. Maybe it's something that people are all over the place or aware of. And here you are. And what do you do, Mark? In my mind, what am I going to do and how am I going to position myself in such a way where I can present it in a way where I'm actually doing something worthwhile? I'm not trying to make anybody feel uh, uncomfortable or make you feel like you are a lack of confidence in who you are in Christ and what you do, uh, because that's not the point. The point is, what is it that does define who you are? If somebody asked me what I did and I say, well, I'm a, I'm a manager in a reservations call center. Oh, really? But if I said that my job for at least 40 hours a week is to help people understand how they can help people in life's journey, you may be intrigued and say, oh, really? How do you do that? Now, the reason why I say that is because that's sort of the latest spiel that my company has put out, that we help people along life's journey. Now, Wendy, thankfully, has made it back from Michigan because we helped her on her life journey. Uh, Miss Jan and, and, and Tim, uh, they do quite a bit of travel, and we were able to get them around. And even Brandon, who has made a wonderful vacation back earlier in the summer, uh, we were able to assist them. Uh, others of you ha are, are recipients of how my peers assist people on life's journey. And then you may, oh, okay, so you have something to do with the transportation industry. Well, okay, you have something to do with the airline industry. Oh, okay, so you're actually helping people service, provide customer service. And the reason why I don't want to go there is because sooner or later I'm going to run into somebody and say, well, let me tell you about, and then I'm like, oh, okay. And then I go into defense mode and I go into, here's my face that shows like I care, but I really don't care. And I'm not going to do anything with this information. I'll make you feel like I really am going to do something. That's the wonderful thing about a phone call center is that people can't see your face, regardless of how wonderful you may be talking to them. That might be one reason why the Lord allowed me to become a manager at an early stage in my career there because of the, uh, I, I haven't had to speak on the front line with customers in a very long time. But if you were to ask a professional athlete, they may say, well, okay, well, I played this sport and I've accumulated these stats or I've, I've made this much money. You may speak to a politician and over the years and decades of their career, they can say, well, I was, I was pushing this legislation or I supported this effort or I was helpful in getting this taken care of. Or if you look at an entertainer's life, I'm sorry, Tim, I'm sitting from your list this morning. But if you were asking, you know, asking an entertainer or an artist and they could show you a gallery full of their artwork or they could, you know, show you a long list on an MP3 file of 
of how many you know songs that they have composed or maybe they've arranged or maybe they've performed or they could tell you about how many countries they've been to and, and how many people that they've entertained over the years and to some degree there's something there that's trying to emphasize what they've done so where are you if we were to ask the apostle paul i think it would be very clear as we read this passage of scripture I begin reading in verse 14 of chapter 15 of Romans. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Alilacrum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Let's pray. Father, help me. I pray that you would be glorified, not just simply through the reading of your word, but through the study and the application of your word the comfort that your word can bring, the instruction that your word can bring. We pray for that now. And this can only be done in accordance to your Holy Spirit's work in our life. So, Father, speak through me. I pray that you would work in each of our hearts in a way that will continue making us more like Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. As we were reading through this, perhaps there were some statements that Paul made that would give you an indication of what it was that made his life purposeful. What it was that he felt his life was used for. And I think that we could sum it up in this passage in regards to his preaching ministry. We're going to look at three components of Paul's preaching ministry and the first component I would like for us to consider this morning is found in verses 14 through 16 in remembering the Gentiles. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Now, that's a significant statement. For Paul to have ministered to whatever means he has done at this point, because we really don't have a lot of information about how much he has been involved with the church at Rome. But at this point, as he's writing this letter to them, 
He can say with confidence that you're filled with goodness and that you're filled with knowledge to the point where you're able to instruct one another. This word for instruct is from the Greek word nutheo, which literally means to indoctrinate. Now, I know we're scared of that word, and rightfully so when we think about what in certain public forums people, particularly our young people, are being indoctrinated with. You know, we live in America. We, we like to think that the educational system is a place where we allow people to think through their ideas, uh, and we don't want people to be indoctrinated with anything. Well, let me make something really clear. When it comes to the truth of God's word, there is a reason why those who have gone before us set up confessions so that we could teach our children and indoctrinate them. We want to give them the truth. Now, do we want them to be able to think for themselves? Do we want them to be mature in their ability to reason? Absolutely. But when we get to the point where we have as a country and have lost any foundation of what truth is, we should be very careful about how people are being indoctrinated. So when we think about Paul saying, you know what, you're filled with goodness and you have, you've been instructed, you're filled with knowledge to the point where you can indoctrinate one another, where, where he's thanking them because, of, or he's observing this because that they understand the truth. Now, he's not saying they know everything, but they have access to everything they need to know. And that's the reason why he's saying it's important that you're able to teach one another. Because guess what? We need to be reminded, don't we? We know a lot of things. I've been to Bible college. Tim and, and Pastor Charlie's been to seminary. Other of you, Ramon, has been the same thing. Some of you have sat under some really good teaching, whether you've been to a Christian institution or not. You've sat under some really good teaching to where you say, you know what? I, I really have a good handle on what the Word of God is. But we never have such a good handle on the word of God that we don't be, need to be reminded. There is no passage of scripture that I'm so familiar with that I know every facet and that I've allowed to apply and change my life in every conceivable way. And until Jesus Christ comes back, that will always be the case. But it's important for us not to just sit back and say, well, since I can't know everything, why do I need to know anything? I'll just leave that to the elders. I'll just leave that to the people teaching the Sunday school class. I'll just leave that to the people who were smarter than I am. No. Paul had confidence that those who were at the church at Rome were filled with goodness and they understood. They were filled with knowledge, able to teach one another. And he reminds them, but on some points I've written to you very boldly. I think back to chapter 2. It was Paul was very bold to question those who were of the Jewish religion before they came to know Christ. Hey, how did that law work out for you? Did that give you an advantage? It should have because it should have shown you how evil a sinner you were. Not that you had an upper hand on somebody because you knew the law. That was pretty bold. It was pretty bold if you go all the way back to chapter one saying, you know what? We are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness that all of us are guilty before God. He had to remind them of these things because he had to get them to a common denominator and say, regardless of where you came from, the only reason why we're here is because of the grace of Jesus Christ. 
So in, a, in some ways, I had to boldly remind you of these things because of the grace given to me. That's that's why I'm here, to be a minister of the of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This reflects back on chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, in which Paul says Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul is reminding them, that's my calling. I've been called to bring about obedience to the faith. Thank you, Tim, for allowing one of our week of Advents to be focusing on faith. And if it wasn't for the preaching of the word of God for men like Paul, we wouldn't know about faith. But that's what Paul's calling was to do. And it was focused on the Gentiles. You have to remember the Jewish people's animosity toward these known as the Gentiles, the nation. You remember Jonah? <laughs> he didn't like the nations. He didn't like the Gentiles, particularly the ones in Nineveh that he was called to preach to because he knew that God being a gracious God might actually save some of these wretches. And he didn't want any part of that because they weren't Jewish. So he ran away from God, he thought. Think about the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Think about the customs and, and the ways in which they would avoid the sinners, the Samaritans, and to others who were not part of their religion and biological heritage. But Paul was called to preach to those very people for which everyone in this room has reason to rejoice that he did because that was his priority. The mindset of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. The second component of Paul's preaching is the fulfillment or the execution of ministry. He says in verse 17, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, lest we stop there and get hung up on the fact that he used the word proud, we need to keep going. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what I did for Christ. Except for what I accomplished because of my training and following my examples given to me before. Because of my influence that I had over everybody else. No. But it was what Christ has accomplished through me. This is the one who said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He wasn't talking about playing football. He wasn't talking about taking a test in school. He wasn't talking about getting a raise at work. He was talking about living under the pressures and the suffering in this current world in which he was living. He could do all things through Christ. I recall the Stephen Curtis Chapman song many, 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 many years ago. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but I wonder sometimes what he can do through me. 
And he goes on to say, his grace is perfect. What is Jesus Christ doing through us? When people ask us, what is the point of your life? What is fulfilling in your life? At what point does it connect to what Christ is doing through me? Anything? Or is it all attached to how much money you got in your bank account? Or is it somehow associated with the people you hang out with? At what point do you get to explaining that this is what Christ is doing through me when you tell people what you do? Now, that's not to say that everybody has to be a pastor of church or be married to the pastor of church or be a missionary. That's not to say they ever have to be an officer in the church work. It's not, that's not to say that, that you have to be working in the nursery. All these things are wonderful things. But at what point do whatever you do associates with what Christ is doing through you? If all I do working in that reservations office that I work at is just simply help guide people to do the right thing while they're talking to customers on the phone, Okay, great. Doesn't really influence my life at all. But if I somehow can link the way that I do help those people and it reflects the grace of Christ and the love of God in my life towards them and the patience that God has extended to me, to the patience that I don't want to extend to them, but I do because I realize that that's how God has dealt with me. Or that when I have a conversation with someone, when I see issues in their life and they look at me as if they don't know why in the world they've got so many problems in their life, do I just stand there and look, well, I know, but I'm not going to say anything to you because I'm afraid of what the government might do. Or do I use that opportunity to actually say, do you mind if I just kind of address something? Can you tell me, Scott, do you mind if I tell you the way I would approach that? as a means of exemplifying to them how God works in our life, leading them, hopefully, at some point, to them to trust in Christ as their Savior. But Paul's fulfillment was what Christ was accomplishing through him by word and deed as he was bringing the Gentiles to obedience. Now, this was... Fulfillment, not in the sense of the extent in time that he was somehow at the end of his journey as he was writing to Timothy, in which he was ready to go. He realized that, you know, his the sacrifice had already been made. His life had been spent, and he was looking forward to hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But what Paul is speaking about here, I was doing everything that I was given to do. I'm not finished doing it all, but I'm just doing everything I've been given to do. As he says to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, verse 15, he was fulfilled in the sense that he did not shrink from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. You see, he understood that giving the whole counsel of God was what he was doing, that there was not going to come an end in his life to that. That would be what he always did, but that would be the extent of what he did, to declare to them the whole counsel of God. 
This was consistent with what was happening earlier in the book of Acts. In fact, in chapter 5, we read in verse 12, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Verses 28 and 29, uh, speaking of Peter, uh, and they strictly being charged not to teach in this name, Peter and the apostles filled Jerusalem with teaching, saying, we must obey God rather than men. This is just what they did. But in doing what they did, they were not skipping out on what they were to do. It wasn't that they were finished doing what they were doing. It was just that they were being complete in what they were doing. There's a difference. So when we look at our lives, we don't look at it as, how is my life going to be at the end of the journey so much as we look at, what am I doing right? Am I doing everything that I need to be doing right now? Am I fulfilling what God has given me to do now? It's that proverbial dash in between the dates on the headstone of your grave marker. That's your life. What is that? Well, to the apostles and to Paul, it was about performing the works and the wonders to, first of all, authenticate their message and to tell the world, these are my servants. So that when they, too, preached the word, they knew it was true. And so let's talk just a little bit about that real quick because Tim introduced us wonderfully. If you don't have the notes, I think there's still copies back there. And if you haven't listened to the sermon, if you weren't here, and even if you were here, I would say listen to it again. Because he was talking about the biblical orbit. Now, you didn't term it, I don't think, the biblical orbit. I think that was my rephrasing so that I don't know what I did about that for, but it's, just, it's easier to say. Uh, I'm not a biology person, so uh, biblical orbit that makes that that we have the God, we have the Word, and we have God's children. And in order for us to fulfill our purpose, we have to get that order straight. We have to make sure that God is what everything orbits around, and that it is God's Word that is held secure. That the massive Weight of God's truthfulness and his character is what, hold, is what holds God's word in place. And when God's word uh, is because of its massive weight will draw like gravity God's children to it. And Paul and the other apostles regularly exemplify this and instruct their followers to do the same of focusing on God's word. So that when we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, God's children are affected by the word of God. And the word of God is completely grounded in the person of God. 
We can't change the message and hope we somehow get to God. We have way too many examples of how that does not work in our world. Peter says in first or second Peter chapter three, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them these of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. Do you know anybody? Have you read anything? Have you been made aware of any material that has distorted the scriptures? If you've been living in this world, you have. You might, you know, you may not have understood it right at the beginning, but once you started thinking through it, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. Now, there are some things that are hard to understand. There are things that we need to be reminded of. It's just like Paul told the church at Rome, you know, you're filled with goodness and you're filled with knowledge, but I had to remind you of some things. There are some things that we need to be taught, and that's the reason why we come together around the Word of God to be taught these things, because there are people who are unstable and they twist things like they do the other scriptures. And Peter warns them, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. This was Paul saying Christ is working through me. Through his word, through what instruction he gave me. That's why Paul told Timothy, what you've learned from me, teach it to others. Because what I've learned, I've learned it from Christ. It's his word. That's the fulfillment. Not at the point to the end of his ministry, but the fulfillment in what he was doing in his ministry. It was all about the word of God. And we can't lose this. Because we got in this postmodern world in which we are living today. Just this past week at work and having a conversation with someone about the word of God. Yeah, but that was written so long ago. Things change. My response was, well, it's murder still the same thing. It's cheating, stealing. Is that still the same thing? That's old stuff, too. It's timeless stuff is what it is. But again, to the ear that can't hear, to the eye that can't see, they continue crawling along in darkness. And because, and because Paul understood that that was the plight of mankind and his sin, the third component of his ministry was an ambition to blaze a trail. Now I have to, right up front, I have to offer to you something that amazed me. I, I guess it shouldn't amaze me because I'm sort of aware of the world in which I live in. But from time to time when I'm preparing for a lesson or preparing for a sermon, I'll go and I'll, I'll get a thought because the term ambition, Paul says it right there, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now, in my mind, 
Blaze a trail is a synonymous thought. Blaze a trail is not found in the Greek. It's not, uh, you know, it's not something that I found in the commentary. But in my mind, I'm just thinking he's wanting to, to preach where the word hasn't been preached yet. But I have to tell you, when I, I, you know, I'll go and I'll look and see if maybe I can find the little anecdote or maybe try to find some little illustration that has to do with trailblazing. And to my amazement, for about 10 seconds, I got over it. But for about 10 seconds, I was amazed that the only thing that I could find on like the first two or three pages of the search engine that I was using, all I had to do was the basketball team in Portland. And so I put in American trailblazers. Well, you'd have thought that I'd misspelled something because it wasn't bringing anything back up. And I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't right. I mean, I haven't been in school that far ago. But it took a really good extensive search with some particular wording before I could find any acknowledgement that there were people in this on this continent before it became the United States of America who were considered trailblazers. Daniel Boone, for example. Now, again, I, there, I realize that we're in a transformational period in our culture in which certain things aren't as uh, celebrated as they used to be. So maybe I'm just out of touch. Maybe when I use, maybe when you look at the, 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 the term blazing a trail, you're scratching your head like, I thought of the basketball team too. I don't know. Of course, it's interesting that where that team plays their home games are probably the most reluctant to talk about trailblazing uh, because of the, the tarnished picture that some in our culture have towards them. But one person described their intrigue of trailblazing as noting that these people would have would leave the comfort and safety of home and go off to explore unknown lands. Sometimes a bad life, a home life would hasten their departure. But many of these young men and women had families, homes, and established lives only to leave them for parts unknown. That sounds like Paul to me. Because when he was struck on the road to Damascus, <laughs> he left it all behind. Every source of comfort and security that he experienced, he left because he made it his ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ had already been named, lest he build on somebody else's foundation. But he was remembering what Isaiah said, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who will never hear will understand. If that's not a mission call, I don't know what it is. That's a mission call of saying, you know what? Just go on out there and maybe something will happen. But Paul's ambition was driven because God had promised that when you go and when you preach, there will be people who will hear. There will be people who will see. There will be people who understand because it is Jesus Christ working through you. Again, it was Jesus Christ who didn't say, 
Now you go pray that people will get saved. He said, no, you go out and pray that the Lord will send laborers. Not to pray for people, but to gather the harvest. Because God doesn't need us to save people. But he wants to work through us as he saves people. And it's through the word of God and, and, and Paul's commitment and fulfillment in that ministry drove him to an ambition to, to blaze a trail, to want to, to not spend time. Hey, you've already had Christ preached here. You've got men who are leading the churches here. You know what? I'm moving on. He said, that's the only reason why I haven't visited you there in Rome. It's because I've been busy trying to spread the gospel from Jerusalem all the way. I found my, I've lost my place here. Sorry about that. But all these regions on my way, perhaps on, on my way to Spain, I'll be able to pass by because at that time, there was no, no known ministry of the gospel that part of the world. Whether he made it or not, we know that the ministry of the gospel did. We know the ministry of the gospel went on beyond the shores of Spain, the continents that those in Palestine had never heard of before that God would use even the nations of the world to prepare roads and, and shipways to be used one day for the moving of the gospel. Now, there's some places even in the world today that haven't been there. There's some places, well, I, I guess, can you really say that there aren't places discovered if you don't know that they're there to be discovered? You know what I'm saying? Kind of a trick question. Because if you knew the place was there, then it's been discovered. However, it's pretty easy to go to a place and realize, you know what? I don't see anything of the gospel. Now, there's been places where the gospel has been very influential, but in today's world, as we pray regularly on a weekly basis, both on Sunday mornings in our worship guide and on Wednesday nights in our prayer meeting, that we talk about parts of the world where the gospel isn't being preached. That we know about. I wonder if there's a heart of ambition in the church today. Say, you know what? I want to find one of those places. I want to find one of those places where the gospel has been ministered to. I want to go where they don't have a church yet. I want to go where there isn't someone already preaching. I wonder if there is that heart of ambition. I think of, at least in my awareness, and I could, and I'll be the very first one to acknowledge to you that I don't know everything. I don't know what's going on everywhere. But I think one of the things that truly 
is a burden to the church in the United States of America is that we don't have a lot of ambition to see the word of God go somewhere where it's not being preached right now. And it would be easy for me if somebody who hasn't had children to be very judgmental of those of you who do and say, you know, well, what are your children doing? But I wonder, I spent over 10 years as a pastor. And that was one of the things I really desired to see more than anything, but I didn't. To see young people say, you know what, I want, I want to give my life to minister the gospel to go somewhere where the word of God isn't being preached. Now we had a good youth group. I mean, we had some kids that were, were faithful. They talked about going to college just like the rest of society does. They talked about getting a career like the rest of society does. They talked about having a family like the rest of society does. Where's the talk about ambition for lost people? Believing that those who never have been told of him will see. Believing that those who have never heard will understand Because you see, as Paul told us in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Have we lost that beauty? I tell you, I, when I get on and I go to certain websites of ministries and I hear about what God is doing through people who, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to hear of single women go to a mission field to help in an area where, well, I would never send my daughter over there. But they go so that they could be an influence for Christ. Or see a young family with children take their children to an area like, why would you go to that God-forsaken part of the world? It's because they have ambition. Because they believe it's beautiful to see feet carry the good news. That's what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. What an ambition. So we see these components to Paul's ministry. We can see through that his priority of preaching Christ as a trailblazer 
Do you know what? Paul wasn't the trailblazer. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 tells us, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, Jesus Christ went somewhere where no one had ever been before to give us something that no one ever could secure for us. And that is the promise that he gave from the very beginning, back in Genesis chapter 3, of a Savior. And our lives will only have internal significance and we follow after and tell others, share with others, the ones who haven't been told, but they'll see, the ones who've never heard that will understand. Hopefully that will be our ambition as well. We're not gonna be the apostle Paul. All of us aren't called to be a preacher. All of us aren't called to go to the mission field. But all of us are called to look unto Jesus, the author, finisher of our faith, who, when he saw the cross, saw the suffering, and the joy set before him, he became our Savior. May we celebrate him this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I sincerely pray that there has been nothing said from me that would take away from the truthfulness and the goodness of your word. And that, Lord, I haven't added anything to your word that is not true and consistent. I ask this, Lord, because apart from your word, there is no power. Apart from your word, there is no truth. There is no purpose for us being here. And so I pray, believing that there will be those who will hear who haven't heard it before. That there will be people who haven't seen it but they'll believe it because of what you are doing with the preaching of your word. We ask, Lord, now that you would be honored in the reception, the application, and the enjoyment of your word. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor Joe. Thank you, Brother Mark, for the message. And I could not help but think as I was listening and making notes, you know, the Lord impressed upon my heart a verse that Paul also wrote but to another church, a church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship. We are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus 
to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do. God has a purpose. And we are part of this wonderful divine purpose and of redemption. And, and I think it's what a wonderful message to, to launch us in our, our month that we are praying for and, and, and receiving offerings to support trailblazers. As you, I'm sorry you couldn't find that word. You should have looked under missionaries. But, uh, but what a privilege it is. For you and me, who maybe we don't have the opportunity uh, or logistically to go to other parts of the world, but but for this month, we can be praying, and we should be, for the 3,700 international missionaries that we support that are all over the world in different countries and different situations and facing different degrees of, of, of danger and making sacrifices because they have heard that call. And they've heeded that call and they've taken their families and into these environments. And you and I participate in that great trailblazing call as, as we support them with our prayers, as we support them with our offerings. But the question that kept resonating in my heart as Mark is going through these components of Paul's ministry is God saying to me, what are you doing? How are you allowing me to have access to your life and your life's plan to accomplish my will? Folks, it's not about you and me. It's not about the things that we might enjoy. It's about God and being a part of his eternal plan. And I would just challenge you as I've challenged myself throughout this message. How accessible is your life to God? that he could work through you to accomplish his ultimate mission and purpose of reaching the lost with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, brother, for that challenging, thought-provoking message. I hope it has spoken to your heart, and I pray that we'll see fruit as a result of what God is doing and as a result of the preaching of his word. Let's stand as I dismiss this in prayer, I want to say a special thank you again to all of our guests for coming to be a part of our worship time. We thank God for you and uh, those of you online, virtually tuned in.